with you this morning. And last week we kicked off and launched into a new series of messages that is going to take us all the way through the fall. It's called Grace Habits. We believe here at Peachtree that, that our unique calling as a congregation is to the privilege of joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things. And that begs the question is, what does a life that's restored look like? What does a life that's trying to join Christ daily actually do? And we have an acronym. We steal from the term grace in order to try to help to describe and define who it is that we're becoming in Christ, that we're becoming more grateful, more available, more curious, and more encouraging. And so we're doing a series that is really like four little mini-series. And in fact, if you would, open up your bulletin. And in your bulletin, you'll see on the back flap, there's on the other side, which is the connect card, so that you could tear this out and put it somewhere where you can have a kind of visual reminder of it. Here are the four habits that we've identified that can help to jumpstart a life of greater gratitude, availability, curiosity, and as well as encouragement. And what's great about each of these things is, is that they help us to be able to move beyond just the talking of concepts, but actually us becoming the kind of people that God has in mind and has created us to be. And so we're attempting to do the thing where we are moving beyond concepts and getting things to the behavioral level and actually giving to God not just our conscious will, but our routines and our habits. Last week, we talked about keeping a list that things need to be obvious and they need to be visual for us to be able to participate in them. And so unless we want the blessings of what God gives us every single day to kind of slip through our fingers, one of the things that we will need to do is to be able to count our blessings and to pay attention to them. So I hope that you joined us in experimenting with that habit last week. And this week, we're talking about a habit that helps us to cultivate gratitude and it's called set it aside. We're going to learn how to set it aside. In order to kick off this message today, I'm going to start in an unusual place. I am actually going to need a volunteer from the congregation, some bold person who's not afraid to come forward. I, this is not a hypothetical. I'm not playing a game. I'm not trying to trick anybody. I'm just looking for a hand of somebody who's willing to volunteer. Over here. Yes, ma'am. Come on up. Can we give her a hand for having a moment of courage to come forward? Fantastic. Watch your step there. I don't wear heels, but I walk those stairs all the time. Would you just introduce yourself to the congregation? Tell us who you are. Hi. Oh, wow. It's very I'm loud. Isabel. Isabel, wonderful. Thanks for coming uh, forward for us today. I'm not trying to trick you, not trying to do anything. You're before church. Don't try to give a Sunday school answer. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, okay. and you just tell me exactly what it is that you think. I have in my hand a $5 bill and a $20 bill. Isabel, if I was to offer you one of these two, but not both, which one would you rather have? $20. You'd rather have the $20 bill. Yeah. Would you guys agree with that, that you'd rather have the $20 bill? Because she's a normal human being, <laughs> she's going to answer that. So, so let me ask you another question, though. If I was to offer either one of these two bills for you, but I was to put a condition on it, that you could have the $20 bill to spend on yourself or the $5 bill to give away, which would you rather have? Honest answer. $20 bill. The $20 <laughs> bill, right? That's what most of us would say is that, thank you for being honest with that. Most of us would say, I'll still, Alex, I'll take the $20 bill, please. And, and so, yeah, that's what we 
would say. But what's interesting is, even though that's almost all of our instincts, the science actually says that you should take the $5 bill to give away. That actually you get more satisfaction, more joy, more happiness from a $5 bill that you give than from a $20 bill that you spend on yourself. Now let's make this a little more interesting, shall we? <laughs> I have in my pocket a $100 bill. Would you rather have the $20 bill? You want that, right? This is like, there are certain things you just don't even have to pray about, right? Isabel? Well, I'm actually going to give you this $100 bill. It, uh, there's no tricks here. I want you to take it. I want you to have that $100 bill. And uh, the only condition of that is that that $100 bill doesn't really belong to you. It doesn't really belong to me. That's actually $100 from the church given to you for you to bless somebody else with. And so we've given that to you, and we're going to entrust that you will find someone in some way, prayerfully consider, all that I ask, this is my business card, is that you just send me an, an email, Isabel, and just let me know what did God do with that money. This you willing to do that? It's a lot of responsibility. It is a lot of responsibility. <laughs> You're like, can I have the $20 bill that I spend on myself? No, too late. Can we give a hand to Isabel for helping us out with that? Thank you. You know, one of the things that we know from Scripture, it's a commonly quoted phrase. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the science behind what we just went through with Isabel actually demonstrates that that is the case. The greater joy and satisfaction and happiness that we get from giving something away is greater than spending it on ourselves. And God has been trying to teach us that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive a long time. In fact, it goes all the way back to there's this tool that God would use with his people to try to teach them this. Started all the way with Abraham, continued through the generations, and it's something that's actually commanded during the time in the law of Moses. This tool of generosity we get to see in Deuteronomy chapter 14. It's like this. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at a place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. As soon as we hear the word tithe, defense mechanism and walls go up, right? Because that's one of the things that we're like, oh no, somebody wants something from me instead of something for me. And so I'm going to ask for a moment to just be careful with those defenses because I don't want you to miss out on what's going on. But we have a lot of objections when we get to things like that of it's not feasible or you don't understand my situation. In fact, one person, earlier this year I was playing golf with somebody and the subject of generosity and tithing came up and, and, and he said, well, that's an Old Testament practice. The word tithe isn't even in the New Testament. And this is why you should not play golf with a biblical scholar and pastor. <laughs> because I'm like, well, actually it is in the New Testament and there are two places that I can think of off the top of my head with Jesus. He's like, no way, chapter and verse. And I'm like, Luke 11:42. And he's pulling out his phone and he looks at it and he's like, seriously? This is what Luke eleven forty two says. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of gardens and herbs and spices, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former 
undone. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to complete the law, to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the tithe. God's been trying to teach us that it's more blessed to give than receive for a long, long time. But Jesus says, you can lose the big picture. You can do all the right things, but forget what it's all about. And so I'm going to ask us to just park briefly our defense mechanisms, you know, all the interesting questions that we have of, is a tithe on, you know, gross or net? Does it go all to the church? Does it go to other things as well? Let's just park all of that. And let's get to the issue behind the issue, the verb of what it says in the law of Deuteronomy that when we tithe, what we're doing in essence is we're setting something aside. I went to go pick up a friend for lunch one day. He had a home office, and so I picked him up at his house, and picking him up at his house, uh, we were going to go pick up another friend for lunch and go out to lunch, and while I was inside and we're, we're hanging out and he's kind of finishing up, packing up things, and he says, oh, wait, I got I to gotta get one other thing. And he goes to a closet that's on the main floor and he opens it up. And in this closet, is just kind of an eclectic, like just potpourri of all kinds of different stuff. And he pulls out a bottle of wine. And I said, you understand this is a business lunch and that it's lunch and not dinner, right? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah no, no problem. This is a gift. And I said, well, if you're handing out gifts of wine, where's my bottle of wine? And he is, it's not for you, it's for him. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. And I said, look, I know you have a wine cellar downstairs. Why do you keep wine up here? And he goes, oh, this right here? And he opens the door all the way for me to see everything in it. He said, this is my gift closet. And I'm like, your gift closet? And he said, yeah, my wife and I, when we, when we buy things that we like and we find something that we enjoy, like, let's say we're at a sporting event. We'll buy not just one hat. We'll buy multiple hats. We'll, we'll buy not just a bottle of wine that we enjoy. We'll buy multiple bottles of that wine. And we set it aside, and we look for opportunities for us to be able to bless something, bless someone else with this. And we're riding in the car. We're getting ready to go pick up this other person. And, and I'm just kind of perplexed by this idea of a gift closet. And he, and he says, Rich, I don't think you understand the biggest limitation for me in generosity is not a lack of compassion, it's, it's a lack of preparation. That I find that if I'm ready to give, I'm generous. But if I'm not ready to give, then I don't tend to act on the mercy of what's before me. So he actually introduced me to the formula that generosity is both preparation as well as compassion. And most of us, the system breaks down not because our hearts are cold or three sizes too small. It breaks down because we're not prepared. Generosity equals preparation plus compassion. One of the most famous phrases of Jesus, and you need to realize that Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject other than the kingdom of God. Jesus says, where your treasure is, finish the statement for me, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And notice that it's not the other way around. It's not where your heart is, then your treasure will be there. It's your treasure goes a place and your heart follows. Let me see if I can illustrate this 
for you. Let's say hypothetically you went to the University of Georgia. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Let's say that you bleed red and black and that you go to all the games and you're so enthusiastic as an alum and a supporter and you've built your whole family dynamic around the love of all things Georgia. In fact, this is what your living room looks like. God, family, Georgia football, and not necessarily in that order. And so one of the things that happens is that you have this daughter, and she starts to get a little older in high school, and she's starting to look at schools, and she's really good at this one particular area of science. And they don't teach that particular focus of science at the University of Georgia, but you know where they do teach that specialty. At tech. And so your daughter comes to you one day and she's like, Daddy, I really want to be this particular kind of scientist. I'm going to apply to Georgia Tech. And you pray against her application and <laughs> you tell her that she has to pay her own fee to all that stuff, but not really. She gets in. You're secretly proud of her. You help her move in. All of these friends surround her. They're all wearing that ugly color of gold that you dislike so much. She invites you to come down to Midtown and to, to have dinner with her, and you see how happy she is with all of her friends. And one day, she, she picks up the phone, and she calls you. And she said, Daddy, I've got an extra ticket to the football game tomorrow. Would you be willing to come with me? And you're like, my daughter wants me to go to a football game with her. Of course you say yes. But before you hang up the phone, she said, Daddy, there's just one condition. We're sitting in the student section. You have to wear gold. <laughs> and so you put on a T-shirt that you never thought that you would put on. And you find yourself at the game cheering for the Yellow Jackets. And you're like, what's wrong with me? I'll tell you what happened to you. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your daughter is your treasure. The tuition payments that you keep writing to the school, that is your treasure. And over time, your heart starts to shift. In other words, we can't wait for our hearts to be ready and perfected in order to live the life that God has in store for you and me. We have to be willing to prepare, to set it aside. And then when we do that, our hearts will catch up. I want to show you a picture. This is a special picture to me. This is a picture of Kelly and me in the getaway car 20 years ago this summer. We celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary this summer. I also want to show you a second picture up here from our wedding. And uh, these three little girls here were our flower girls. Um, and we baptized little Jack from this family, from the Parks family. This picture has absolutely nothing to do with the message. I just want to embarrass the Parks family. <laughs> it's a whole motivation from that. But I do have a reason for bringing up my 20th anniversary. And that is, is that as you reflect over 20 years of, of marriage, some moments are really good 
some of it's are just okay, and then there's some harder moments, some moments when it hasn't been good. And I know that doesn't sound very romantic to talk about it in that way, but you know what I can tell you? I can tell you the moments at which when it hasn't been very good. Those have been the moments when we give each other the leftovers, when we don't prioritize one another, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure. We're not very good stewards with one another. When we don't set aside time to be together, when we don't set aside the resources to go on a date or to vacation together, when we aren't willing to set aside the attention and the love that it takes to have a flourishing relationship, that's, that's when it's not as good. So let me ask you this question. When you think about your marriage with God, are you giving him the leftovers or are you giving him the choice fruit? Are you willing to set aside some of your time, some of your talent, some of your treasure when it comes to living in a life with God? There's a humorist by the name of Ken Davis. He has a friend by the name of Joel who decided that he was going to go on one of those a kind of short-term international mission trips that churches advertise. You know, people like Pastor Jay, you know, send you emails and be like, consider going to Malawi. Well, this one guy, Joel, got one of those emails and it's like, hey, I've, I, I've always wanted to do this, never done it. And he ends up taking the risk to go to Romania. And in Romania, um, he's going through the packing list of what he's going to need. And one of the things they say is we're not really sure about the food situation in certain places. And so you might want to bring with you some non-perishable snacks. And so he goes to the store and he literally just kind of throws a bunch of random things into the kind of the grocery cart. And he packs them up in his suitcase and in his backpack. And he takes them with him. And his heart is torn by the poverty and by the brokenness of the people that he meets, and he goes to this one house. Joel goes to this house where there's this missionary family that's been there a while. They've gotten cut off from their support and the organization, and they're trying to be faithful. And they were so encouraged to have this um, American family there to be able to come alongside them, just to speak some English, just to pray together in their native language. And on a, on a whim, as he's hanging out with the family, Joel thinks about his backpack and all the snacks that he has for himself in his backpack. And he turns to the two teenage girls and he says, is, is there anything that you miss? What do you miss the most about being, you know, all the way over here inside the United States? And they're like, oh, we miss the candy. They don't have the same kind of candy here. And he's like, what's your favorite candy? And they're like Reese's peanut butter cups. And he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out one of those king-size packages of Reese's peanut butter cups and, and he gives it to them and they, they take it like a, you know, when you give a, a puppy a, a bone, like they run and they hide, like they take the Reese's peanut butter cups and they just go like hide. And he turns to the, to the wife and he says, what do you miss about being in the U.S.? And she goes, oh, I miss the fruit. And he goes, any particular kind of fruit? And she's like, yeah, I miss the citrus. And he reaches into his backpack and like Santa Claus, he pulls out, he pulls out, you know, those, those little clementine kind of fruits and he, and he gives them to her and tears start to well up in her eyes and he, 
And he's like, I'm two for two. And he turns to the husband and, and he says, is there anything you missed from the United States? And he says, yes, what I like, though no one else likes. He's like, what is it that you desire? And the man says, tapioca pudding. I love tapioca pudding. And Joel can't believe it because in his backpack, he's got one of those multi-packs of tapioca pudding. And he hands it over to this family in Romania that needs a little glimpse of God's goodness and generosity. And I don't know that anybody has ever prayed and thanked God for tapioca pudding before, but it happened in that moment right there. And when he left the house, Joel's heart broke before God because he's like, God, if you can do this with tapioca pudding and some orange slices and some Reese's peanut butter cups, imagine, imagine if I was willing to give you more. John Ortberg puts it like this. He says, what do you get when you give? He says, you become alive to the kingdom. What do you get when you give? You become a little less focused on yourself. What do you get when you give? You become a little less depressed. What do you get when you give? You're more in tune with others. What do you get when you give? You become more capable of empathy. What do you get when you give? You have a greater sense of community. What do you get when you give? You have a decreased sense of loneliness. What do you get when you give? You will look back not on a pile of things, but memories of people whose lives were changed. What do you get when you give? You get a new heart and you get an adventure with God. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But there's some pre-work. It's not just about compassion. It's about preparation. You've got to set it aside. Isabel, this is not the only time I've given $100 away in church. About 15 years ago, I read a little book by Danny Balesi that's called The Kingdom Assignment. And I was in San Antonio, and we had a couple of volunteers come forward, and and we gave out a couple of $100 bills, and there was a little boy in the congregation, 11 years old. His name was Jackson Rogers. And Jackson came from a well-to-do family, and he got that $100 bill, and he was thinking, what am I going to do with this? And he just kind of kept it in his room, and after about the course of a week, his dad's like, the preacher said he wanted an email, you know, like, we ought to discuss this, Jackson. What are you going to do with it? And Jackson looked at his dad, and he said, Dad, I think, I think I'm supposed to build a house. Okay, Jackson, it's time for me to teach you the value of a dollar. $100 doesn't build a house. And Jackson said, I know. I think I'm going to write everybody that we know and ask them to help me to build a Habitat house. So using that $100, he used postage, paper, and before you know it, he's raised the $42,000 necessary to build a Habitat house in San Antonio, Texas at the time. And one of my favorite memories at that house dedication was watching little Jackson play with another little boy from the other side of a socioeconomic and racial divide. They're just sitting there playing basketball in the driveway. And I'm thinking, God, if this is what you can do with $100, 
Why do I hold back? There are givers in this world and there are takers in this world. The science and the scripture proves that the takers, even though we're trying to do all of this in order to be satisfied, it just doesn't work that way. That the happiest, most productive people in society are the givers. But in order to be a giver, you don't just need a good heart. You have to set it aside. And so let's cut through all of the clutter that is our lives and our feelings about giving. And let's get back to the core of what that entails. There is um, a practice that is called tithing that we just don't do and ask of you. It's something we do as a church. Did you know that we give uh, roughly $1.3 million away of the church's resources to all kinds of different ministry partners, organizations, missionaries? So proud, a legacy that started long before I got here of the generosity of this church. One of our ministry partners is an organization called Urban Recipe. And did you know it takes... $25,000 to start a food co-op, that the greatest challenge with food sustainability and food certainty is not actually in America having access to food, it's in putting together the process and the community of being able to do it well. $25,000 can start a food co-op in a low-income school and in our mission budget this year, we've allocated $25,000 to start a new co-op that doesn't exist, that will exist because of what we do with the church's budget. And we were wondering that maybe as a congregation, you'd want to join us and maybe we'd start more than one co-op. And so let's watch the screens. The food co-op is called Urban Recipe. Right now, we have people unloading the truck. Somebody take that one up. Uh, get those big ones over there. Yes. They're putting food in the boxes. And then over here, we have people that are uh, bagging potatoes loose potatoes to make sure everybody gets some. And over there is check-in, where people check-in, sign-in, pay their dues. This food is coming from the Atlanta Community Food Bank. All these people are the members. They are going to fill these boxes and take these boxes home. And Canveda is checking to make sure we have what we ordered with the invoice. We're going to give one to each everybody. So that we can get started filling the boxes, we're going to have 25 singles, nine doubles. So it's like a lifesaver. It's food security. It's not having to worry about what your kids going to eat today. And no one knows that fear more than Candetta Burke. Battling cancer with eight foster kids to feed, she could barely keep count. Four, five, six. 
and it was like, I can't feed these kids because I'm not getting benefits for these kids, but I'm taking my money from disability to stretch it and feed these kids. And then I heard about Urban Respite. Ken Bennett not only found food at Urban Recipe, she found a community, leading it in praise of what they can do together. So give yourselves another hand. Good job, good job. And that's what executive director Jeremy Lewis says it's all about. She makes this co-op what it is, and every one of the co-op members behind me are contributing to making this co-op work. Part of the beauty of what Urban Recipe does with its members is that it creates dignity. These members are working together to meet each other's needs. But that also comes in partnership with folks who are willing to contribute with us in a sustainable way. Donors are vital. They're hardworking folks, but they also need the extra support that we are able to provide with them. And now that extra support includes opening new co-ops in neighborhood schools where kids won't have to brave hunger anymore if a few more doors are open. Oh, goodness. Oh, this life. Please help, because our lives depend on it. Food security depends on it. People are going home, and the kids are not hungry. And I definitely don't have to scrape up and come up with extra money. If they said, what would you want, silver or gold, I'll say urban rescue. That's my goal. This is my gold mine. I found the, the, the gold at the end of the rainbow. It's Urban Recipe. Urban Recipe. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we thank you that every good, every perfect gift first finds its origin and its source in you. We thank you, O oh God, that every day is a blessing. And Lord, you have enriched our lives with so many different things, too many for us to count. And so, Lord, will you continue to teach us a practice that began long ago of what it means to come before this world that you have made and to be generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so stir within our hearts and help us to become a renewed people that we would not give you the leftovers of our lives, but that we would put you first. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together.